The Daily Rios, Episode 369, Timeline Tuesday for the month of November. Hey everyone, this is Peter. It's time again to celebrate some comics history, and it's rare that I get to do this on the first of the month, uh, but here we are, November 1st, and we're able to do uh, a look at some anniversary and first appearances right at the top of the month, so that way you can celebrate all month. How about that? So let's travel back 10, 25, 50, and even 75 years ago and take a look at first appearances for the month of November. Now again, these aren't cover dates of issues. These are actual release dates as best as my research can provide. We start 10 years ago, 2006, and we must celebrate 10 years of fantastic comic book writing and creating with Mr. Jonathan Hickman, because 10 years ago was his debut comic, issue one of a six-issue miniseries from Image Comics called Nightly News. It was written by Jonathan Hickman, penciled by Jonathan Hickman, inked, colored, lettered, edited, and even did the cover, all by Jonathan Hickman. Now, at the time, he was a brand-new creator, and he was sending out by email a PDF of that first issue. And I remember getting an email from him uh, back when I was producing Comic Geek Speak and read that first issue and was so amazed by it. It was just so different from everything else that uh, was on the stand at the time. We used to do a monthly segment called Indie Challenge where I took a look at books uh, in previews and tried to find books that were new number ones or from new creators and try to give them a little bit of a push, give them an interview, or discount their book through DCBS. And that's what we did with Nightly News. So in the month that it was solicited, back in September of 2006, we brought him on the show to talk about that first issue. It hadn't even been out yet. I'm not sure if that was his first podcast episode, but it might have been his first podcast interview. And then eventually Nightly News hit when it wrapped up. Six issues later, we uh, brought him back on the show again to do a a more in-depth conversation about the series. And then, of course, you know, the rest is history with Jonathan Hickman. I mean, he would go on to do other Image miniseries, uh, a lengthy stay at Marvel Comics, and now he's back again at Image, uh, still putting out new work. I, for one, am certainly looking forward to his new book called Frontier, which should be out either this month or next month because he is doing what he started out with. Once again, he's going to do everything with the book. So, uh, Nightly News number one, 10 years ago, bringing us the work, the mind, the career, and the talent of Jonathan Hickman. Also 10 years ago, 2006, we had Immortal Iron Fist number one, which was the start of that series. If you're a fan of... The Hawkeye series by uh, Matt Fraction and company. I really feel this is the precursor to that title, or at least to the way uh, Hawkeye was presented. Um, Immortal Iron Fist was written by Ed Brubaker and Matt Fraction and penciled by David Aja, with um, inks by David Aja and Derek uh, Friedolfs. Uh, Travel Foreman did some artwork. Matt Hollingsworth was the color artist. It was it was such a good book. 
that went real deep into the Iron Fist legacy, even creating previous uh, characters who had the power of the Iron Fist. So it was all about legacy and generations, um, beautifully drawn, uh, well-written, opened up the Iron Fist universe uh, super wide. And I don't know if they're going to hit any of this on the Netflix series, but they really should because um, it was that good. And there was just something about the way that title was put together that makes me think um, a lot of titles that came after it owe a lot to the work um, that was presented there. Also, 10 years ago, November 2006, from Image Comics as well, we have the softcover graphic novel, original graphic novel, by Dan Schaefer called Scribbler, which was made into a very low-budget, low-released movie. I don't even think it hit the screen. It probably just went right to DVD. But it's a movie that I've been interested in seeing for quite a while. Uh, back Now, here's something I haven't done. I don't know if I've ever done this or if it's just very rare. There were two uh, deaths in November of 2006 that had a lot to do with comics fandom. We have November 21st, 2006. We lost Jerry Bales, who is known as the father of comics fandom, both in terms of creating zines and conventions and... Jerry was really interested in looking at comics from an academic sense and um, just being someone who uh, would put together comics fandom, connect fans with with creators and with other fans. He died at the age of 73. And then November 26, 2006, we had um, the passing of Dave Cockrum, who was the co-creator of the new X-Men and many, many characters. He died at the age of 63. Other things that were going on, uh, we have from Worldstorm, the event from Wildstorm, Midnighter No. 1 by Garth Ennis and Chris Sprouse. This would last 20 issues, and eventually it would be taken over by Keith Giffen. I think Garth Ennis was really on it for only about six issues or so. And then there was Stormwatch PhD by Christos Gage and Doug Monkey. Uh, This lasted about 24 issues, and those creators were on for about a year or so. We have Birds of Prey 100. Uh, Speaking of 100 issues, we have Incredible Hulk 100, which was starting to wind down the Planet Hulk series, uh, or the uh, Planet Hulk um, story arc. Eventually, that'll lead way to World War Hulk, which was an event And, you know, it's kind of interesting, Marvel Studios is big on this whole, I don't know, disclaimer, qualifier that they say whenever they make a movie, um, a lot of the contents of that movie, in terms of story, uh, are from comics that were written 10 years ago. You know, they say, I guess their point is that it takes 10 years for a comic story to reach the movie universe. And if you want to think of Thor Ragnarok that is coming out, um, Thor number three called Ragnarok, Ragnarok, it's supposed to have elements from Planet Hulk. So, you know, I guess they're making good on their statement there. And finally, 10 years ago, also from Marvel, uh, I don't know why, but they brought back Onslaught and had just a casual sort of mini event called Onslaught Reborn. All right, let's go back 25 years, 1991 of November, John Burns 2112, 
written by John Byrne, penciled and uh, inked by John Byrne. Color artist was Steve Olaf. This was out from Dark Horse, and this was a prelude to what would be known as John Byrne's Next Men. Now, the contents of this issue, the story, was originally developed as a proposal for what would eventually become Marvel's 2099 imprint. You can look online for various um, links to why it never really worked out. Now, the uh, interesting thing about John Byrne's Next Men, which not a lot of people know, is that that was based on a lithograph plate from the History of the DC Universe portfolio that came out after they released the two-issue History of the DC Universe miniseries by Mar Wolfman and George Perez. It was a way to show off their characters. It was a way to show off their creators in their stable. So John Byrne created a lithograph plate called Freaks, and some of the characters and character designs that wound up on that plate um, eventually would be reworked and would become Next Men. So John Byrne's 2012 one-shot um, told the story of a future universe that could have become the future of the Next Men, um, but then someone gets sent back in time. And so it has a, it's a prequel, and yet uh, the story takes place after um, the whole Next Men concept. Think of like the Terminator story, right? Where someone gets sent back in time to avoid uh, history becoming a certain way. So that's what 2112 is. So that was around 25 years ago this month. We also have the first issue of the three-issue Miracle Man Apocrypha by Neil Gaiman, Mark Buckingham, Matt Wagner, James Robinson, Kelly Jones, Norm Brayfogel, and others. Now, the Miracle Man title was all but done by this time. I think it only had about two issues yet by the time the miniseries started, but this would be it. After this three-issue miniseries, um, there wasn't much more Miracle Man uh, beyond that until Marvel started reprinting it, oh, you know, a couple years back. We have Wolverine number 50, by Larry Hama and Mark Silvestri. This was, you know, they made a big, real big deal about this issue when it was being released at the time. It had a die-cut cover of the Wolverine's claws ripping through the cover. And it was supposed to give some groundwork and some backstory to, to his origin, which, remember, at this time, nobody knew. and But nobody knew, but they were at least, especially after... Barry Windsor Smith's uh, Weapon X, they were trying to dip into a little bit more. But what happened was, as they started to dip into his origin, they just would layer a new concept over a new concept over a new concept, and it just all became confusing. So this issue brought about this whole thing called the Shiva scenario, and the Shiva scenario was supposed to be the Weapon X program's fail-safe fail safe against anyone finding out about um, the whole program. And this particular issue, uh, I believe it was the third of, uh, uh, of three different chapters, uh, dealt with implanted memories that Logan had um, with Logan and Weapon X and Sabretooth. And again, it was supposed to be a big deal, a big deal at the time, but it really wasn't. If anything, it just added <laughs> to more confusion. Um, also 25 years ago, Daredevil 300, written by D.G. Chichester and penciled by Lee Weeks, which brought down the Kingpin in a story that was called Last Rites. 
And then we also had 25 years ago, Elongated Man, number one of four, the only title that he's ever had, written by Gerard Jones, penciled by Mike Parabek, inker Ty Templeton. That's a pretty good creative team right there. And finally, Superman, number 63. This is the volume two Superman title, uh, where we learned that Lori Lamaris who was killed during the crisis, was actually alive and living in secret because she had a brief romance with Clark Kent, um, but because their worlds are so different, because she's a mermaid, she thought, you know what, I'm just going to pretend like I'm dead so he can go on and live his life as Clark Kent and Superman. So, weird little um, crisis addendum issue there. Okay, let's go to 50 years ago, 1966 of November, and here we have the beginnings of some really important debuts with Detective Comics 359, the million-dollar debut of Batgirl, Barbara Gordon. She is celebrating her 50th anniversary this month in a story by Gardner Fox, Carmine Infantino, Sid Green was the inker, Gaspar uh, Saladino was the letterer, Julia Schwartz was the editor. The cover artists were Carmine Infantino and Murphy Anderson. I love all the blurbs on the cover, where it says, Meet the new Batgirl. Is she heroine or villainous? What is her startling secret identity? Now, she was created expressly for the TV show, even though she wouldn't appear on the TV, uh, Batman TV show, until later that year, September, by Yvonne Craig. But she was created for the TV shows in a way to attract female viewership. The idea of her being the daughter of James Gordon was brought to Julia Schwartz. And um, the hopes were that by developing this female character, they could possibly even get a third season out of ABC for the Batman TV show. She would go on to battle the villain Killer Moth in her first appearance, and this is one of those legendary, iconic issues that I've never read. So I will have to put this on the list of issues so I can read it, and so I can uh, read for myself how she was introduced to the larger comics world. So, happy 50th, Batgirl. Also from DC Comics, Adventure Comics 352, uh, in a story by Jim Shooter and Kurt Swan um, and uh, Mort Weisinger, we have the first appearance of the Fatal Five and also the Sun Eater. So the Sun Eater was threatening the future universe of the Legion of Superheroes, and they couldn't find any heroes to battle this creature. So they decided to go and ask the villains, and that's how we get the Fatal Five. Emerald Empress, Mano, Persuader, Tharok, and Validus. And this would be the first of two issues. So next issue, which I assume I'll do in next month's uh, timeline, Tuesday for December, there will be also another very important Legion uh, milestone with Adventure Comics 353. All right, also 50 years ago, X-Men 28 was the first appearance of The Banshee, Sean Cassidy, in a story by Roy Thomas and Werner Roth. It was meant to be a female character, but it was looked at as being maybe not something that they wanted to do at the time, so they made, they turned um, their original creation into a male. So that's why you get the Banshee, which is usually a female name uh, given to a female creature, 
uh, is given to a male known as Sean Cassidy. So his first appearance 50 years ago this month. And uh, let's see, we also had the first appearance of the Buana Beast in Showcase number 66, uh, written by Bob Haney, penciled by Mike Sikowski. He didn't have many first appearances. I mean, excuse me, he didn't have many appearances after this. He was in Showcase 66, Showcase 67, and then wouldn't be seen again until one of the issues of the DC Sampler in 1983, which was a giveaway by DC Comics to fans and retailers just to give a sampling of what was going to come out that year. He then showed up in Who's Who, Crisis on Infinite Earths, in the DC Challenge miniseries of the 80s, History of the DC Universe, uh, and eventually would show up. Um, oh, he also had a, a, a random appearance in The Outsiders, but then he would show up in Animal Man, um, you know, in the first story arc of um, Grant Morrison's Animal Man, where, um, you know, his legacy would be then eventually passed on. So he didn't have a lot of DC appearances to warrant even a who's who entry, and yet he did. So I guess that was because he was a cover a character that actually got cover billing. So, Buana Beast, 50 years old. We also have Element Girl, the chemical doll, had her first appearance in Metamorpho 10. Captain Adam 84 is when Captain Adam would go from his yellow and red costume to that um, blue-silver costume where his arms were silver and his chest was blue and I think his legs were red. So he would get a new costume and the Blackhawks were entering a new era, Blackhawk 228, where there would be a little more super heroic. They would have a little more super heroic adventures and, and code names. Um, I don't think that um, era would last too long, though. All right, and now we jump to 75 years ago, 1941 of November. Again, huge, huge month for first appearances. Now we have to talk about Sensation Comics number one because that was part two of the Wonder Woman origin. That was um, a direct sequel to All-Star Comics number eight by William Moulton Marston and Harry J. Peter. Um, we would get the first appearance of the Invisible Plane. We would get the first appearance of the Diana Prince identity. The other thing about Sensation Comics number one is that it also has the first appearance of many, many other DC standout characters, such as Mr. Terrific, Wildcat, and then a few uh, smaller characters such as Little Boy Blue and the Gay Ghost, who was later known as the Grim Ghost. So this anthology issue, huge, huge month for first appearances. So Mr. Terrific uh, was... Um, written by Charles Reisenstein, penciled by Hal Sharp, and he would stay with the book all the way through to issue 63 in 1947. Little Boy Blue was by Bill Finger, and he was penciled by John L. Bloomer, and he was a kid superhero, but he wasn't a sidekick, and which kind of gives him a, a unique place in comics history. He just was a young superhero. He decided to become a superhero and put on a costume because of um, he got the idea from reading about Wildcat, who actually had his first appearance in this issue as well. And what's interesting about that is Wildcat would become a, a superhero because he got the idea from Green Lantern. So it was like this nice little trickle-down effect. 
Now, Little Boy Blue would stay with Sensation Comics for 82 issues, all the way up through 1948. I mentioned the Gay Ghost, later Grim Ghost. He was he would stay with the book up through issue 38. He was written by Gardner Fox, pencils by uh, Howard Purcell. And Wildcat, Ted Grant, the Golden Age Wildcat, his first appearance in this issue, he would last all the way up to issue 90 from uh, 1949. And he was written by Bill Finger and penciled by Erwin Hassan. Uh, now, the reason I'm saying Bill Finger and not Bill Finger is because according to Don Markstein's Tunapedia, uh, the name Finger is pronounced to rhyme like zinger, not linger. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm going to have to. Don Markstein's Tunapedia is a wealth of resources. And I have to imagine that if he wrote that down, that it is correct. So it's not Bill Finger, it's Bill Finger, like zinger, singer, finger, Bill Finger. So there you go. You learn something new every day, right? So, yeah, happy 75th anniversary to all of those concepts. That's that's just amazing. And then, finally, another big debut. Uh, this was a two-part story between Master Comics 21 and Wiz Comics 25 from Fawcett, featuring the origin and the first appearance of Captain Marvel Jr., created by France Heron, C.C. Beck, and Mac Raboy. Now, these this story would also feature... The first appearance of Captain Nazi and the Black Dragon Society. All of these concepts would later show up in Roy Thomas's All-Star Squadron. And the whole origin goes, uh, Captain Marvel was fighting Captain Nazi and he falls into the water. Um, but he's saved by Freddie Freeman and his grandfather, thinking that he was just doing a good deed. Well, Captain Nazi kills the grandfather, breaks Freddie's back, crippling him for life. So Captain Marvel takes him because of his, uh, you know, I guess he feels guilty or because of his hero heroicness in saving Captain Nazi, takes uh, Freddy to the wizard and he gives him superpowers. And that's where we would get uh, Captain Marvel Jr. And he would quickly take over Master Comics from uh, Bullet Man and Bullet Girl. And then eventually, about a year later, would get his own title. And they were very clear on trying to be um, distinctive about um, Captain Marvel Jr. They didn't just want him to be, uh, you know, modeled exactly after Captain Marvel, so he was, you know, given that blue costume, but also his art style, the the art style of his comics were a little more, um, were less cartoony and more illustrative, um, so it didn't mimic what was going on with Wiz Comics and Captain Marvel. It really had a look unto its own, so 50 years... So 75 years, excuse me, 75 years of Captain Marvel Jr. There you go. That's our Timeline Tuesday for November. And what a Timeline Tuesday that was. What an important month. Some really great characters making their first appearances. Some really great concepts making their appearance for um, 75th anniversaries, 50th anniversary, etc. All right, this has been The Daily Rios, episode 369. If you have any comments, leave them on the website or send me an email, peter at thedailyrios.com, and we will talk to you soon. Bye.